we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,097 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and from Cutting Through the Matrix, Melissa. Melissa, we'll start with you. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. If I felt any better, it wouldn't be legal. <laughs> so, Bruce, how are you today? Got some sleep, I hope, yes? Did get some sleep. Uh, took a nap yesterday and got a decent amount last night as well. So a uh, little bit more uh, focused today. Uh, but yeah, healthy and alive. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. And I, too, got some sleep. I, I went to bed extra early last night and I got 10 hours, if you can believe it, 10 actual hours wow. of sleep. I didn't move. It was one of those nights where you just went and you were just down and you woke up in the same position you went to sleep in. That's how tired I was. And so, yeah, I, um, I, I finally got some sleep and I feel a whole lot better today. So moving right into the events of the day, Melissa, you are back with us today. Um, I tell you what, let's start with you. What have you been working on over at Cutting Through the Matrix? Let's talk about that. We'll take our cue from you and we'll roll right into whatever comes up. Well, I have just been acclimating to doing everything on my own again. Um, Weston, sadly, a couple of weeks ago, he's transitioned into... Well, that's a terrible word. Yeah, we can't use that anymore. He is, we, we cannot use no, that. No, I know. He's, he is a young fellow and he's looking for his purpose because I think what becomes clear when you really dig into this agenda is that uh, we're in the mouth of madness now and we have to have a purpose from which we can extract some meaning. And uh, he's a really bright fellow. I'm very grateful for the excellent help that he gave me for 15 months. And I had shown him how to upload to the website. And that was when I was doing, well, I actually had just started the midweek clip thing. So it was already two uploads a week. But now he set up the little tiny YouTube and BitChute channels. And then I committed to doing a new podcast called Real History, Real History with Melissa back in January. And that's going well, but it's a lot of work. And he also taught himself how to make the little videos that go along with the talks. And now I'm teaching myself to do that. And I'm thinking, well, it was a lot when I was doing it by myself back in 2021. And now it's really a lot, but it's good. I 
you know, I've got a purpose and I'm sticking to it. Well, that's good. I'm uh, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad that you're continuing with uh, with your podcast. It's uh, it's great to hear those stories. So uh, we were talking in prep about uh, you were doing some research into Ukraine this week. And I thought we could start there because we had an incident that happened a few hours ago of one of our drones, unfortunately, being shot down. Well, it was what you say, Bruce, it was tapped. It was accidentally tapped by the Russians. And it, yeah. well, it kind of yeah. crashed. Yeah, that's that's what they're reporting. But anyway, um, I'm sure that what's go- whatever's going on in Ukraine, which we don't even really know, to be fair, whatever's going on in Ukraine, I'm sure that this is now going to be a point for an escalation. To that, <laughs> let's get into what you were discussing in prep about Ukraine and the, the political figures that were involved. Well... Uh, with because I'm a little bit busier than I had been, I'm finding it difficult to carve out much time during the day for reading. So what I'm trying to do is listen to more news so that I can do that when I'm doing something else. And so what happened last week, as you recall, Russia shot off some hypersonic missiles that uh, where, where there were six of them, I think six missiles that they released. And I thought, well, I better check in and find out what's happening in Ukraine. And so I listened to a few different newscasts. And the first thing that I was struck by, one of them, I just thought, let's go way out. Let's go way out into the Al, Al Jazeera world. And listen to what they have to say about what's going on. Oh, no, and, goodness. How yeah. <laughs> did you have the, the stomach to put up with that? That's a, a mouthpiece for the State Department. My God. I know. I know. Well, I like to take it from, you know, just, you know, I like to put myself out there in the traps and see what I can find. But right there, Al Jazeera said it. It must be true. Um, they compared what was going on in Bakhmut. So you've got the battle for Bakhmut. And I I love how, you know, in our lifetimes, everything has got, you know, it has to have a name. It's got to be, you know, so it's the battle for Bakhmut. And they were describing this. They were comparing it to some great battles of the last century. And they said it was like Stalingrad or Verdun. And then they went on to say they are gaining inches and losing thousands. And I think it was that newscast, too, that said that neither side, Ukraine nor Russia, would say how many casualties they were suffering. So, okay, all right, enough of Al Jazeera. And I went and listened to um, the next state mouthpiece that I could find, BBC. And I hear them saying, uh, this is like Stalingrad or Verdun. And I'm, okay, all right, okay. So they got the handout, they got the flyer. <laughs> it's the same, yeah, it's the same memo yeah. that went out to everybody. Uh, yeah. And then, um, sure enough, that that anchor said they are gaining inches and losing thousands. And I thought, okay, it's surreal oh land God. and that's all I'm going to get. I, you know, so finally later on in the day when I had a little time, I went online and sure enough, all the major outlets were comparing it to either Stalingrad or Verdun or both. But anyway, back to the listening that I was doing. Um, some female news anchor was interviewing a female politician, a Ukrainian MP. And the topic of the conversation was women and women's rights and women's needs. And it was then I realized that it was International Women's Day. So this is a big, you know, the UN trots out everybody and it's women, women, women. And they spent about 
five of the seven minutes of this segment talking about how women are, you know, now they're participating in the war and their needs need to be met and they're not getting equal pay and they're not services for a woman who is helping with the war effort, but needs to have her children and all of the usual talking points. But then they got to the heart of the matter. When you think about what wars can be used for, you know, extremely big cultural changes, the minister said, and I've just introduced a bill into, I guess they call it parliament there in Ukraine, I'm not sure, but um, to legalize same-sex marriages. And I'm like, well, bingo, there you go. That's what it's all about. It's about the biggest possible cultural changes that can be achieved. And of course, you know, it's always presented in the most sympathetic way that, you know, the LGBT community is is helping with the war effort. And if one partner is lost on the war lines or injured and then their partner back at home has no ability to uh, participate in the medical decisions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what it is, is it's culture war. I, I find I find that interesting because we're told all day, every day by the, uh, the, the by the Russian press, if you can follow any of that, it's very difficult to follow that because they've banned it all here. But we're told by the Russian state media that everything that's happening in Ukraine, they're fighting neo-Nazis. Yeah. Which is hilarious because Zelensky's Jewish. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm still waiting to see any of this, quote, uh, neo-Nazi evidence that they're presenting. OK, maybe you got a couple of ragtag morons out there waving flags around, whatever. But I don't see what that like that agenda that you're you're discussing. And I, I fully understand that that's probably what they were saying for sure. But I don't see that agenda playing with a neo-Nazi, radical neo-Nazi uh, agenda at all whatsoever. Like those people wouldn't even make it to the front lines with someone with a radical ideology <laughs> like that. That's crazy. And then, of course, Hillary Clinton was over there talking to Zelensky's wife, Madame Zelensky, and it was, you know, women, women, LGBTQ, rah, rah, rah. Um, no, the what we're presented, no matter which state propaganda you look at, is just a farce. It's a show. The whole thing is a show. It's Every everything mm -hmm. on both sides, and I'm not I'm not praising one side or the other here, but there's propaganda on both sides. There was propaganda as a pretext to lead into it to begin with, mm -hmm. and and I, to be honest with you, when when somebody brings up the issue of Ukraine with me, I don't even know what to say. I I don't because. Mm -hmm. Apart from, and Bruce and I were discussing this privately last week, I think it was, and he says, what is actually, what do you think is actually going on over there? And I said, the hell if I know. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Apart from actually going there, and I'm not in any hurry to get in a car and drive over there, I assure you, because I could, but uh, apart <laughs> from actually going there... I don't really know what's going on in there. I, I don't mm -hmm. I don't trust our side. I don't trust the Russian side. I don't trust the Ukrainian side. So there's no and we've said this time and again, there's no good guy in this fight. Uh, mm -hmm. When you've got Zelensky out there inviting BlackRock, Vanguard, JP Morgan and Wells Fargo to rebuild the country, something's wrong. <laughs> something's mm -hmm. really wrong. And you have volunteers, right? I'll, I'll just put I, I they call them they call themselves something else. And I, I don't really know, but uh, I can't remember. But they're they're medical personnel that are from different European countries. So like you've got medics from the UK, you've got medics from Germany, Poland, the Netherlands, France and, and Italy, you know, all these European countries. And they will actually volunteer their time. They'll run charities here 
And when they're not working their regular jobs here for the medical services, driving ambulances or, or being medics or, or EMTs or whatever here, then they will take their personal time and they will go to Ukraine and they will provide medical aid to both sides. They don't care. They're just there to treat people. So apart from getting a firsthand account from someone like that who's completely impartial and just trying to save human life... I don't know if, if you can actually get a, a legitimate claim from somebody, like a legitimate story as to what's really going on in there. No. And if you think about it, like one of the headlines that I saw was from the Daily Mail as they were talking about um, what's going on in Bakhmut as a return to the bloody World War One trench warfare. Now, if you think about drones and hypersonic missiles and you all you have to do is go to the state department and and i'm sure that this is just like a tiny this is what they're prepared to tell the public in terms of the arms that they're sending over and the money that they're sending over i'm sure that it's much more or maybe they're not getting any weaponry we don't know you know maybe it's just the money exchanging hands i i mean that's i mean that's a kind of a far out assertion but we don't know anything we can be lied to all day long. But what if you look at the list of what the State Department says that they're sending over, this is high tech advanced weaponry. What are they doing engaged in trench warfare? Why are they telling us in this day and age when people sit in a room and operate drones that they're gaining inches and losing thousands? It does not add up. The only way that I could see that that might add up would be if this was conventional warfare from, say, like the Cold War era, where none of that stuff that you're talking about existed. So if you think about the, mm -hmm. the, the moment in the year where we are for that part of the world, you have the process of um, it's basically it's a thaw because like it's it's too warm. We, we didn't get the deep freeze this year. You do have a mm -hmm. little bit of freezing that's gone on in Eastern Europe but nowhere near the level they need in order to operate tanks and artillery effectively across the countryside over there because they don't have a lot of paved roads like they do here in the West. And so the only way that I could see where they would be gaining inches instead of whatever and losing thousands would be being stuck in the mud like they mm -hmm. like like happened in the Second well, World War. That is what they're saying is going on. That you know, it's it's bloody, it's muddy, it's the you know, it's World War 1 and 2 trench warfare. I I just can't wrap my head around that with all of the weaponry that we're supposedly sending them. How we're not can sending that modern be? stuff. We're not sending modern stuff. The stuff that we're sending, and we've been watching a lot of it. The stuff that we're sending is uh, it's Cold War era stuff. That, that's what we're sending because that's what they're running into on the Russian side of things. Is they're still using a lot of their Cold War artillery and and tanks and things like that, and their their personnel carriers. All of that's Cold War era stuff, and all of that is. Uh, declassified anyway. They already know what that stuff is. And so we're sending all of that. Now, all of our current stuff, like our, our up-to-date M1A2 um, A2 Abrams and the um, uh, our artilleries and, and all of our MRAPs and stuff, all of that is going to Poland. But that's a little bit different story because Poland's a NATO country. So they're staging all of that in Poland. Uh, but as far as but everything else, is... we're, we're stripping it down and sending it to, to Ukraine. Yeah. But it does. I mean, it is going somewhere. Otherwise, how are we hearing stories about drones? You know, I mean, in yeah, other words, wherever it's being staged from, it's getting there, right? So yeah. some of the drones are actually civilian drones and they're just strapping uh, like a mortar to it or a hand grenade or something like that and dropping it from height and, and hitting or they're just using it for targeting. 
and they'll use it to call in artillery or they'll use it to call in uh, yeah, mortars and uh, they can see where the rounds are hitting and then adjust. There's a lot of drone usage for that and a lot of videos out there that they're doing that. Um, there is one piece of kit that we did supposedly send them that is um, 13 years old, uh, and that's the HIMARS. Uh, that's a, um, a medium range missile system. Uh, I think the range on it is something like uh, up to 200 miles, I think, or something like that. It, it, it's pretty long range, relatively speaking. But we, we sent that over and supposedly we sent it, but they're not using it unless we give them data, uh, the intel to use it, supposedly. So I don't know. I, I honestly don't know for sure uh, the, the kind of hardware we're sending them. We have what the government's telling us. And then when we watch videos and stuff, we rarely see any of the hardware that we gave them, except for maybe like the javelins that we sent over or some of those things. But we rarely see anything like HIMAR or um, any of the other vehicles. We see, uh, you know, T-72s or we see AKs or we might see the the body armor that that looks like ours, you know, but. That, that's all you really see. What about the missiles that Putin deployed or the Russians deployed last week? Were those Cold War era? I mean, it made it sound like... See, I'm just listening to you guys talk and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is what it's like talking with fellows, the men, you know? It's like, <laughs> I was a player of dolls and Barbies and stuff like that. It was like, oh, guns. But I mean, are the Russians, those missiles were not Cold War era, were they? Um, yes and no. Uh, so. They're updated Cold War, so they have better targeting, but they're effectively Cold War era. Yeah, uh, they're claiming that they use thermobaric, which is um, that's uh, think of like a vacuum bomb or something like that. That's supposedly stuff they've been using, but we've not actually seen solid evidence that, yes, they are using that. So as far as we know, it's just normal conventional stuff from Cold War. We did see one. We did see a video of one where you saw the you saw the impact, you saw it go out, and then all of a sudden you saw it get sucked back in in a secondary explosion and it blew everything out. Think of it as a um, a miniature nuclear weapon. That's mm -hmm. basically what it is. Or a fuel air bomb. A fuel air what bomb. We would, yeah. you know, yeah. That's more and that's what called it what? It's called a thermobaric weapon. <laughs> and they've been supposedly using these uh, in uh, in and around uh, areas of, you know, uh, Ukraine and, and things. And, you know, I, I, I don't see this turning into a um, – This everybody knows this is where it goes. I don't see this turning into a nuclear conflict, at least not in the near term. I, I don't see that because uh, I, th I think that that's, you know, that's talk. But I get the feeling – like this entire thing with Ukraine is like um, it's like a, a cat toying with a mouse, if that makes any sense. I feel I feel as though and don't get me wrong. I, I legitimately think that people and, and innocent people are, are being killed in there on both sides. I, I do believe that. But I feel as though the level that our, quote, leaders on both sides are are playing. I feel like this is all for show. I, I feel like this is all for. I, I don't know. Like we're, it's almost like we're meant to see these things. We're meant to have these talking points thrown at us. All of this seems mm -hmm. like it's, it's theater. Well, it's like a couple that. of weeks ago, I mentioned uh, Wag the Dog, the movie yeah. Wag the Dog, which yeah. really you know must see about just making up an event. And but you know the point that I was going to get to a few minutes ago is trench warfare. You see, whatever is happening. And wherever the money's going and wherever the newer artillery is being staged from, when the powers that be want 
to stage something or have something happen, they have no qualms about wars of attrition, just thousands and thousands and thousands of the little guy day after day after day after day going into the trenches and getting blown away. No qualms. And even if all it is is theater, they don't mind the live show for ends that we don't really see from this vantage point. Yeah, I was going to point out that the Russians haven't pulled out any of their high-tech stuff, like the Angara tank that they supposedly have. Uh, And some of the other vehicles we know they have, they haven't pulled out. So their high-tech, high-end stuff and the good soldiers, they haven't been pulled out yet. It's only been conscripts and Cold War-era weapons. So Mm -hmm. I think it's theater. Okay, it, there there is there is something I'd like to say on that. I think we discussed it. I, I can't remember if we did it uh, on on a broadcast or not. But I think we discussed it with uh, with Marty last week when I said that the reason that they don't have the T14s, the the Armadas, the reason they don't have those is because their defense minister Sergei Shoigu stole all the money. There was supposed to be thirty billion dollars set aside for that, and he he stole all the money. Supposedly, I mean, this is this is what I heard from a guy who's an expert on on the Soviet, the former Soviet Union. Supposedly, that was the reason that they don't have a fully operational uh, armada program. Which, by the way, they don't share with the Chinese, even though they're military. They have a military alliance. They don't share that technology with anybody. As mm-hmm. far as the their A team, as in, I'm I'm assuming that you're speaking on like Russian Spetsnats at that point. I did hear that they lost somewhere around 1,000 of them when they were trying to take, uh, was it Soldar? Was that the name of it? Soldar? Or whatever it was. Sounds familiar, something like that. They lost around 1,000 of them when they were uh, making an attempt to take that territory. But that wasn't really reported. Now, again, I had heard that from somebody who's an expert on the former Soviet Union that still speaks to people within the Russian government. And that was a humiliation that that the, uh, the Russian government and most notably Vladimir Putin would not mention that publicly. Uh, and more to the point, even if you're to somehow kind of uh, go in and broker a peace deal, which now they're saying, oh, well, uh, you know, Xi Jinping, he's going to go in and he's going to broker the peace deal. Yeah, right. China talking a peace deal. Seriously, they're talking about invading <laughs> Taiwan. You're supposed to listen to that like that. That's supposed to be something legitimate. The world's supposed to follow that. I don't think so. Then Trump comes out a couple of days ago at some event that he held. And he says, look, I can broker a peace deal between Russia and Ukraine and I can have it done in 24 hours. I don't even think that that's doable. And the reason I say that is because even if this is something that's a you know a legitimate thing. And again, I believe that people are really dying in there. It's too much of a humiliation for the Russians to just stop at this point. I mean, you're too you're too far into this. You're too deep into this. You've lost too many people. And so you're you're going to you're going to stop this and and be humiliated. I think it's too much of a humiliation for them to stop. I I don't know the script on this one. I don't know if um, the role that Putin is assigned calls for him to be humiliated. It is scripted, but I don't think I mean, because I've heard several of the things I've read or listened to talk about. Will there be peace negotiated this year? Or positing the idea that perhaps there can be peace negotiations in the fall. I mean, you know, who, what's wrong with summertime? I don't know. But autumn has been put out by a few sources as when they might arrive at a peace negotiation. But there's no, what would be the reason for negotiating peace? If we're watching theater and the theater has multiple purposes, multiple stories at play, and we know that they never concern themselves with real victims with real fallout, then what's the motivation for negotiating peace at this time? I don't see it because 
there's way too much money that is changing hands. And then there are all of the social changes that will be implemented um, in these countries that, you know, starting with Ukraine, but the countries that surround it will be affected by this and Russia will be affected by this. I mean, we were talking off air about some of the things that go on in Russia that don't really get properly reported in the Western media in terms of sex trade, sex trafficking, pedophilia, that kind of thing. But the social changes take some time to become institutionalized. And that has to happen. That's got to be one of the reasons why we're there in the first place. That also, and to kind of just add to that point that you you made there, um, that also goes for their abortion numbers as well. They actually have a higher yes. uh, abortion rate per capita than the U.S. or any Western country does for that matter. Along with China, mm-hmm. I might add, China's not immune from any of this. They're all involved in the same thing. Uh, we just don't mm-hmm. hear about it. I was just going to talk about, with, you know, the way in which China's abortion situation, the one child becoming the two child, you know. I mean, all of these make us think in the West that the abortion situation has somehow improved or changed, but it's it's huge business there. It is. No, it it most certainly is. You talked about a whole bunch of money changing hands. Let's get into the banking system. I'm sure that you've been paying attention to that. So let's uh, let's discuss that a little bit. Are you surprised? Because I'm most certainly not. We were expecting this for quite some time, and I'm sure you were, too. What bank failure? What bank failure? Yeah, that's right. I, what is there a bank failure that's going on? Is there is there a banking problem? I I don't know. I don't know. Oh, it was it was very funny because I was writing on Sunday and I was going to post it on Sunday and I kept uh, debating I, whether what I was going to post was going to be called too big to fail or not too big to fail. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you're not Shakespeare, you know, too big or not too big. And I ultimately went with not too big because I I thought it is quite possible that for whatever reason, and I what I was thinking of was bail-ins, that all of the things that got put into law after the 2008 crash, one of the biggest ones that we have not yet seen play out in a huge, huge way are the bail-ins. And basically, that is what is going to affect small people, average people, people that don't have $250,000 in a bank account. I don't know anybody that has that kind of money. Do you? You know, I mean, it's so the bail-ins are basically when an institution is failing and the government says, well, we can't bail them out because that would be contagious. That would spread. And, uh, you know, so they say, well, Let's implement this new thing, the bail-in strategy. So I ultimately called my tiny little piece not too big to fail, and I was wrong. You know, they they bailed them out. We're only seeing the tip of the iceberg of this. You know, what is there contagion? What will it look like? But this is the beginning of something, uh, something yeah. I think very big, because we know that they've got the central bank digital currencies that they want to roll out in a big way. And they, you know, the world that was the big talking thing at the World Economic Forum and uh, you know, what does digital currency look like? How do we bring it about? And I think that this is the beginning of 
a new system. I, I think it's the first step, as in they're like they're. Yeah. I said yesterday they're shaking the tree. That's all they're doing. This isn't the big one, I don't think yet. Uh, and Bruce made the point yesterday that they don't have the infrastructure ready yet. It's 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 a system that they're constantly working on, but we don't think that they have it ready to roll out yet. I think if they roll it out now, I, right now it's too soon. This year, probably. Maybe towards mm -hmm. the end of the year, I don't know. But this year, I think we'll start to see it. Uh, and I surmised yesterday, and, and you can comment on this uh, if you like, I surmised yesterday that it needs to be a, a, a crisis big enough to where they have to hold everybody hostage, not just a few, not some startups. Right. Not yeah. uh, some media people, not uh, a couple of uh, biotech companies that invested with just this over here. Just uh, our Charles Schwab, which you mentioned in uh, not to be confused with dear old Klaus, mind you. <laughs> uh, but you mentioned Charles Schwab in the beginning uh, in prep, and that's not enough. Even though they hold $7 trillion in global assets, they need something to be able to hold everybody hostage. They need everybody's pensions. They need everybody's mortgages. They need everybody's savings accounts. That's what mm -hmm. they have to do. They have to hold everybody hostage. Then they have to come out and say, well, look, um, we've got this big of a problem, and you're going to lose everything unless we do this. This is the only thing that's going to save it. And they'll give you a portion of it in a digital currency, but that'll come with stipulations, which mm -hmm. they'll implement later. That's what I'm guessing anyway. Yeah, I, I obviously this one failure, even with that smaller, what was that? Silvergate Bank was um, a crypto was, bank that also collapsed last week. And I, I heard that hear there were that a one. lot of banks. I heard about Circle. Uh, Circle was invested well, in Silicon Valley. It had about three and a half billion. Yeah, um, Circle and uh, Etsy, I think, and there's a, there's Etsy some fallout there from it. Wow. Yeah, Etsy's a big one because evidently small people that had little businesses, like the mom that crochets something or whatever and is selling it there, well, all of those people had delays by days of getting paid. So those were those ramifications. I think it was Circle, Etsy, uh, Roku. Roku. Yes, I heard and, about Roku. Yeah. Yeah. And may, and another big year, too. I don't know that we're affected by this. And then Schwab and whatever that fallout is. But before that, a couple of days earlier, maybe Tuesday of last week, Silvergate Bank, which is a cryptocurrency bank. They, I mean, they, they deal in real money, but a lot of crypto changes through there. They failed. Now, that's a very different thing. They aren't going to get bailed out. It's a different kettle of fish. But I also heard from somebody that I was talking to yesterday, and I have not verified it, and I probably wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't know where to start, but that there were multiple bank runs last week on different institutions. And I don't know what you two are hearing, but if you look at the if you look at the um, stocks and everything of the various banks that were, well, they went down, uh, many of the banks went down, like, 30%, 20%, 15%. There was a small run on the banks, uh, a little bit. Silvergate was uh, March 8th, by the way. I, I did find an article talking about that. That was the mm -hmm. first bank of this to close down uh, since 2020. So Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I, th I think they'll just keep hammering at us from a variety of ways. And it may not be one big thing like the mortgage debacle of 2008 and all of that fallout, but it, you know, it, I think we'll get it from several different angles and it, they'll see, they have a, a convenient person, person as if Joe Biden, yeah, oh, he's sitting there making policy, right? 
but they can point to his strategy of raising interest rates and say that that is what uh, is behind all of this. But, you know, it's a corrupt system run by gangsters and increasing the interest rates to somehow fight inflation when it's all a big shell game, you know, it's smoke and mirrors and we're not supposed to see what is really going on, which, oh, that did you hear that all of these uh, SVB employees got their bonuses? I did and not hear that. No. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, that that's like huge. Wow. But, and not, not surprising at all. First of all, I just learned today when I circled back to read a little bit more, but the CEO himself, he cashed in some millions, I don't know, three, three and a half million dollars worth of stocks two weeks before that all I of did this hear. happened. That I did hear, yes. Yeah. So I had I just learned that today, but last week when I was looking around to see, well, yeah, but what where's the where's the juicy stuff? And the juicy stuff was that literally hours before the insurers came in to take possession of the bank. All of the employees received their bonuses for 2022. Of course and it did. said there is no, nothing to see here, folks. This is not unusual because it has been our tradition to pay the company the annual bonuses on the second Friday of March every year. We're not doing anything that we don't always do. Um, Friday the 13th, lucky for some. Yeah, not so lucky for uh, for all the depositors and all the creditors that are not going to get paid. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, it, does anybody else does anybody else getting that in 2008 vibe from this? Because I am. I, I'm certainly getting oh, that yeah. because everybody, yeah. like all the banking heads, all the executives and everything, they all got their bonuses. Everybody else got screwed in 2008. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, I just well, like to point I mean, out before, before we go any further, because this just came across mm -hmm. my desk. On this day, the day of recording, so March 14th, 1883, very significant day in history, Karl Marx, the founder and mm. uh, creator of, of communism, made his most useful contribution to mankind. He died. I'd just like to point that out. <laughs> Anyway, continue. Uh, well, what I was going to say, um, the late Alan Watt of Cutting Through the Matrix websites and all of his great research, one of the things that he reminded people over and over after 2008 crash is that they themselves, the bankers and the organizations, the IMF, the World Bank, all of the central banks said there will be a part Two to this crash. We don't know when, but there will be a part two because the underpinning structure, duh, hasn't changed. That's true. And the only thing that, you know, the only thing that they put in of any kind of significance or, uh, that might change it, and of course that would be to make it worse for us, is what I just mentioned with the bail-ins. So yeah, I smell a 2008. For sure. Oh, yeah. I, I smell a, a 2008 coupled with a 1929 and a sprinkling of whatever it was before that led us into the Civil War. So I I feel as mm -hmm. though that's, you know, it's a culmination of everything. And of course, you can throw Weimar Germany on top of that, too, <laughs> because yeah. that's where we are, at least culturally. And as far as inflation, we should technically be there. But before uh, we go any further, Bruce, I would like for you to explain what you were explaining to us in prep as to how this happened to begin with and what the Chinese have to do with this. Okay, so basically, the SVB Bank 
had some really bad loans. Uh, they made um, <laughs> basically their startup loans, their um, you know tech company loans, those kind of things. And they loaned it. I'm trying to remember exactly how it was. They loaned it and then they used the loan as collateral as well. Uh, so it, it didn't make any <laughs> sense Which you can't do. Uh, you can't, you can't do, that. do that. So so the investment ended up being, uh, so basically what happened is they put the money back into the bank after they got the loan and then they invested it, but it was under the name of the bank now. And then when the, when the Fed increased the rates, um, they basically defaulted on the loans. They, the, the people that took out the loans, they defaulted. And then the bank was like, well, we're out of all this money now. And, uh, they decided we're going to sell bonds. Well, the bonds they had were at 2% and they're currently at 5% or 6% right now. And they can't get the full price. So if you spent, you know, 10 billion on it, uh, you're only getting, uh, 75 cents on the dollar to 80 cents on the dollar now, because those bonds are, are basically worthless, uh, because the, the new bonds are more, uh, more yield. Uh, so basically they lost, um, I think they were, they were short like 20 or $30 billion or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they had a big fire sale basically. And that's when you started seeing a run on the bank and, uh, investors started bailing and, and, uh, that's when they shut everything down with them and the, uh, but not to worry. Um, the, what is it? FDIC? Is there the one, are they the ones that guarantee the 250,000? Yes. They said that they're going to guarantee all investors, yes. including the ones over the 250,000 mark. So, uh -huh. That's the with bailout money? that yeah. we're talking with about. With what money? Yeah. They're going to print it. Of course mm -hmm. they are. Yeah. Which is going to raise inflation, which is going to put the the burden on us, yeah. the average person. Yeah. Uh, so we bailed them out, basically. And China, yeah. to your point about how China is involved, some of their biotech companies are some of the ones that took out loans from uh, SVB Bank. Interesting. Is it just me or does this whole thing just reek of a money laundering operation? That's all this is. That's literally all this is. I was actually, I was reading uh, a little bit of a book today, and I'd like to, to read this on how an individual gets so wrapped up in money laundering and what they can do. This is a true story. This is about a guy named Michel Zidona. He's an Italian guy. Now, listen to this, okay? He started this back in 1959. He ran a, uh, a lucrative business selling stolen goods off of a truck, to American forces that were stationed in Italy at the time at the end of the Second World War. Now listen to what this guy was able to do. So he operated that truck in 1959. He then acquired, with all of his proceeds and everything, he then acquired uh, a small bank called Banca Privata Finanziaria, right, which is private bank of finance in Italian. And he went on to acquire a steel foundry, which was later sold to the American Crucible Company, which established a Liechtenstein holding company, Fosco AG, through which he had obtained a controlling share in Finab Bank in Geneva, Switzerland. <laughs> This is ridiculous. He founded a foreign exchange brokerage, MoneyRex, which established close relations with the Vatican's Institute for Religious Works. He became a legal advisor to Cinevosca, which is a textile manufacturer. Right now, all this because he, he started a, a stolen goods business selling stuff out of the back of a truck. Right. He then became the president of Mediterranean Holidays and Philips Carbon Black Italiana. <laughs> He was the managing director of Chessboro Ponds, a member of the board of Remington Rand Italiana, 
And after he had raised $2.4 million from the Melanese businesses, uh, business circles for Archbishop Montini to finance the old people's home, right? The charitable front, right? You got to have those. Mm-hmm. You got to have your, your charitable mm-hmm. front there. Pope John Paul, who formally authorized him to become the Vatican's chief money manager. <laughs> this is, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. <laughs> he then began selling the Vatican's controlling interest worth $350 million in Societa Genera- uh, uh, Generate Immobiliara, which then moved $40 million to a Luxembourg bank, Paribas Transcontinental. While Institute for Religious Works took a large block of the shares in Sedona's Finab Bank, which was his own bank that he started in the beginning. After divesting the Vatican of its holdings in Italian companies like Condante de Aqua, in 1969, Panteia in 1970, and Serrano, a maker of contraceptive pills, there's your, yeah, there's that, in 1970, the Vatican funds, the Vatican involved in, in contraception business? Ah, never would have guessed that. Never would have guessed it. In 1970, <laughs> no less. Uh, the Vatican funds were then dispersed all over the place, and Sedona himself became the president of seven Italian companies, the vice president of three banks, and a major shareholder in the Vatican-linked Banca Union. Having forged links with Hombros, 25% controlling stake, and Continental Bank of Illinois, a 15% stake, Sedona found himself in close touch with the U.S. Treasury Department. (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) Who would have thought? He was the bank's chairman at the time, David Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy? Yeah, another Kennedy. Mm -hmm. Who became the U.S. Treasury Secretary under President Nixon. Mr. Kennedy later became a board member of Fosco AG. Ha! Who would have thought that? He left the Treasury Department to become a, yeah, a board member for, mm. for, his, for his bank there. After transferring to the United States, Sedona bought a controlling stake in the Franklin National Bank. Then, this is when it all started to go downhill, the downfall began to develop when he started investing in, uh, in U.S. interests. And then the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission stopped all trading on something called Vetco Offshore Trading Industries, after a Los Angeles investor was found to have acquired 25% of Vetco's outstanding shares in a violation of SEC regulations. It transpired that 20% of Vesco's shares had options that had been acquired on behalf of IRW through a Liechtenstein-based fiduciary industry or investment services, which had an office in Sedona's Rome office complex where the Vatican was. <laughs> after the Vatican wow. had been a blot... Yeah, after the Vatican had been obligated to pay a fine of $320,000 by the Security and Exchange Commission after having acquired 454,000 Vetco shares as part of 714,000 Vetco shares sold by the FIS, the largest block of shares ever traded to date on the American Stock Exchange. Sedona's uh, sustained foreign exchange loss was at $48 million in 1973 and a further $150 million in 1974. Uh, it was then discovered that Franklin National Bank had a minimum of $43 million in hidden phony profits in foreign exchange deals with Sedona-controlled Swiss banks. Doesn't it sound like they're doing the same thing all over again? Mm. Oh, it's it's even worse than that. The Fed it's is worse hiding all the, yeah. the the fed uh, is literally hiding all of the not just the money they're losing but also the money that's being laundered and you know as you're talking they're hiding all of that we yeah. we we don't know the full extent of what's going on and how bad it really is do you remember back in 2008 when um the US fed i think they were just they just picked a number they said they needed to pick a really big number it was like 700 billion 800 for the Okay. Yeah. And they and then when they had to be accountable for it, it went to money heaven. Do you remember that? 
I do. And the man who oversaw yeah. that was a man by the name of Neil Kashkari, who happens to be. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him, the $800 or billion as, dollar man. As Alan Watt liked to pronounce it, Kashkari. Yeah, that's him. That's him. Yeah. yeah. He was also a big so, proponent of lockdowns during COVID, I might add. You know, really, that's interesting. Yeah, he's when working for the Fed now, all- you know. He's 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 back oh. was a, as a Fed chairman now of one of their branches. He was working as the executive VP of uh, Pimco, uh, the bond company, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. he at least that was I, I that's where I saw him a few years ago, and then I saw him uh, or excuse me more than a few years ago, and then uh, now I've seen I see him. He's running. Uh, he's an executive vice president of the Fed now, or vice chairman of the Fed or Fed or whatever. Uh, which one of their branches? I'm not sure which. Well, when you were reading all of that, it remind you know that term failing upwards. Yeah. To fup when you fail yep. upwards. Well, uh-huh. it, it made me think we, we need a new term. Sup. That's when you steal upwards. That's <laughs> what they do. You just they you, steal yep, all the way to the top. You steal a little bit and you just keep going all the way to the top. Yep. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to sit here and, and watch all this. And it's like we, we don't have a crystal ball. We know what they're going to do. Why? Because they've done it before. I mean, all of that, what mm-hmm. I just read, all of that's an account from it started in 59. You know, and this is just one incident from one guy. That's how much damage mm-hmm. one guy can do when you have unchecked. Well, I, I can't even unchecked and, and uninterested agencies. I'll just put it that way, because anybody that gets near any of this stuff to try and and give it some kind of oversight, if they try to, they get pushed out of the way every single time. Mm-hmm. They get pushed out of the way. Anytime somebody tries to go after one of these agencies, it never goes anywhere. They say, oh, well, we're going to hold that that group accountable. We're going to go after that person. And they'll throw somebody to the wolves, some low-level person. Do you know how many people went to jail over the 2008 fiasco? Do you know how many? One guy. One. One yeah. guy. Yeah. One guy yeah. went to jail for that. The biggest heist in U.S. history. And one guy mm-hmm. went to jail for that? They pinned it mm-hmm. on one guy. So th- my point is, is that these these institutions, these these government oversights, you're never going to get any accountability out of these people because they put people in charge of these these committees or these investigative whatever. And it's all just for show. It's for you to think, oh, well, they're doing something about that. They're, they're going to go after that and you're going to see some results out of that. No, they put people in those positions that don't even understand what they're supposed to look into. Right. And I think that there is a, a hiring practice, whether it's these kind of bureaucrats or, you know, intelligence agencies, they simply know if they don't know it intuitively, they get the memo and they snap to really quickly. They just know who butters their bread and, and they're not going to step on those toes. It's not going to happen. And they you either you may have the one guy that go that goes to jail, but most of the time we don't even get that much. We just have oversight committees and investigative committees and we're looking into this and you know, years late and people forget, you know, we suffer from, you know, with short term memories and we don't remember. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. They screwed us over a few years ago. Wonder whatever happened there. Well, the same people are screwing you over again. That's true. That's true. All right, we uh, we've got about ten minutes left. Uh, what else would you like to talk about? You got any other uh, any other pressing issues you want to get into? Oh, not no, I don't. I'll leave it to you two to come up with something. I like I said, I have not been able to follow things as uh, meticulously as I would like to. I just am having a hard time deciding what's important for me to know and what's not. 
I understand. I understand. I've been I've been I, buried in some books the last uh, couple of weeks myself, and it's been it's been quite eye opening. And the discussions behind the scenes around here have been very interesting to say the least. The last couple of weeks, uh, and we're still trying to figure been... out how to well we're Besides, still trying to fi- we're still trying to figure out how to wrap our heads around it and i don't want to say too much on the matter yet because i need uh, to be okay. i need to be more informed on the matter we got a lot of uh-huh. work to do first before we go down that road because if what we found that we can actually as in like we, we can prove if we can uh-huh. if we can get the paper trail and we can tell people exactly how we found it how we came to that conclusion and where they can go to come up with that same solution, then that's what we have to do. But we can't talk on it yet until we brief ourselves on it fully. And if this is indeed the case, then this changes everything. So Ooh, that's, wow. yeah, this this changes well, literally everything. Now, that doesn't mean, cur- yeah, that, that doesn't mean that what we're dealing with here in the West is any different. It just means that the problem goes a whole hell of a lot deeper than what we thought. So there is that. So we're, we're going to have to go that route first before before we go any further with it. I can tell you a little bit about it behind the scenes, but I can't talk about it publicly yet because we need to get okay. further into it. But I'm happy to share what we have found thus far uh, with you because, you know, you're, you're a very well-read, well-researched person. So uh, maybe you've run across this stuff before. But, oh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm definitely intrigued. Okay. Well, we'll talk about it uh, offline. Uh, but like I said, we, we still need a little bit more time uh, before we can before we can get into it. Big tech, big tech. We can go to the big tech route. Some of the small tech companies were kind of caught up into this this um, this banking collapse, this Silicon Valley, obviously Silicon Valley Bank. So some of the tech companies were actually caught up into that. But Facebook, if this is any indication, because I tend to think at least looking at, at you know at trends and stuff, I tend to think that whatever the tech companies do, that usually serves as a bellwether as to what's going to happen throughout the rest of the economy because those are the you know the the industry leaders so called and i i think facebook made a mistake with the whole uh, the metaverse thing you know this vr thing and and they're promoting it down at the world economic forum and you got klaus schwab standing out there talking about oh i had my my little avatar in the metaverse and it was great and it was cute well they just shut it down so i'm sorry i'm not going to be able to meet the virtual klaus schwab in the metaverse which i wouldn't even go in there anyway <laughs> um but i i, I thought at that time, that the metaverse idea, just the concept of it, right? Before they even got into the whole, this big clunky thing you wear on your head and all that stuff, I thought that that was a failing concept to start with. I thought nobody's going to take to that. Yeah, you're going to have some people take to it, sure. But that's a niche thing. It, it's, not, it's not something that people are going to be attracted to. And sure enough, here it is. They officially shut that down. That's done. The metaverse is done. So they're going to now change things. Uh, Zuckerberg says that they're working on a um, a text-based uh, something powered by an AI system or, or something like that. I'm not quite sure what that is. Maybe that's something they're going to maybe they're going to take their WhatsApp platform. And they're going to transform it a little bit. I don't know. Possibly they'll do something like maybe what uh, Telegram has done. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing here because that's kind of what they do. But Zuckerberg and and Facebook or Meta, whatever it is, I, I'm assuming they're going to change their parent company name now because they're not doing that anymore. They're going to fire another 10,000 people. That brings their number to almost 25,000 that they fired in the last six mm-hmm. months. And that mm-hmm. is uh, they've lost 70 something percent of their value in the last 24 months. So I'm assuming that that is a sign that they are either going to be swept out with the tide or they're going to try and make an attempt to restructure and retool. What do you think? Well, I I think it would probably be more along the lines of restructure and retool. Um, 
And it doesn't really matter if they're swept out because there's going to be some other version that serves its purpose um, when the time, you know, like I was talking to somebody a couple of months ago about Facebook and they said, oh, well, only old people use Facebook. And I said, oh, really? I didn't know that. And they said, yeah, you know, new people are into WhatsApp and they tweet and they Instagram and stuff. But they, you know, Facebook is the the world, the universe of older people. I'm like, well, that's interesting. That's good to know. But see, I I think that the metaverse is bigger than than Zuckerberg's company. It's bigger than putting on these VR helmets or special glasses or something like that. When I, I, you know, I, I want to be careful with language, but when I think about the metaverse, I think about a, a system that we're actually already in, in a lot of different ways, which is an augmented, hyper-realistic, internet-based uh, internet of things world in which we interact with other people in in ways that aren't based in a non-digital reality. And I, one of the things that I saw the other day came in, I think it was um, from MIT, their technology news that I, I looked at, and it said, uh, hyper-realistic beauty filters are here to stay. Yeah. Now, I, I'll I don't you an, go I'll into... I'll show you an example. Yeah. I'll show you an example here okay. in a second. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't do the social media. I only read about it and, and try to keep keep up on things in that way. But these are filters. So you, you don't have an avatar that's like a cartoon or a sexy babe or something like that. These filters with their exaggerated eyebrows or eyelashes and everything, they move in real time with your facial movements. That's how uh, good the the um, the AI is on them. And I think to me, the metaverse is, it's a state of mind that is being created in people where they can no longer separate fact from fiction because they're so digitally plugged in. So the players in the game, the Zuckerbergs or the, you know, if Musk's or whoever is behind whatever company, they'll come and they'll go and the names will come and go. But this 5G, soon to be 6G, complete cage that is designed for us, that is here to stay. And people no longer being able to discern what is real and what is digitally manipulated, that is here to stay as well. To give you an idea, this is uh, this is a young lady who's demonstrating one of these filters, if you will. And we've been talking, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we've been talking about this uh, for a couple of weeks. But this is crazy how far these things have have come. And this is her with that filter on. Okay, it looks you can't. I mean, like it it looks real. You can't tell really anything in there. You can't tell that that's a filter or any of that. And then that's with it off. Yeah, uh-huh. it doesn't look like oh, the same person. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So yeah, what so what you're demonstrating is a a rather plain featured woman who's turned into a fashion model with an artificial intelligence beauty filter. That's what I in see. real time. In real time. Yeah. This is not Absolutely. like something that you do with like Photoshop and hours worth of editing or or anything uh-uh. like that. This is in real time. And yeah. <laughs> Bruce has been very outspoken on these things uh, since we've started what? to see them, and and we've been. Um, we, we've been kind of shocked about them. Uh, go ahead, Bruce. Go ahead and, and jump in there because you're 
you're nodding and smiling like, uh-huh, yeah, I'm ready to just <laughs> criticize this all the way around. And I, I don't well, disagree with you. I, I don't even have to criticize it because it's these women that are criticizing it. They're saying this is fantastic, but at the same time, this is going to be devastating to society as a whole. Um, they're like, yeah, this is nice, but this, this is going to destroy women's self-confidence. This is going to uh, push the market uh, in the future for like, uh, you know, cosmetic surgeries and those kind of things. Um, the, the gene altering stuff that they're talking about doing for cosmetics. It's going to just push that market because, you know, you're, you're going to have this filter and be perfect. But then in your real life, you're not going to be. And so you're you're going to have self-esteem issues. You're going to have um, yeah, which that, that that's an, a bunch of BS in and of itself. But anyway, um, that whole logic behind the, the whole um, self-esteem and all of that, that has been twisted and manipulated there. It, it's completely broken. But mm-hmm. the, the, this filter stuff. The stuff before this, the the avatars and stuff like in the metaverse and all of that, that is really easy to distinguish between real and fake. I mean, that is like a cartoony fake world, mm-hmm. you know, it, that that's easy. This stuff, when you start getting into this, you can't tell. I, no. I, I don't you, you looking at that, the, the, the tells that you see with fake videos, you can't see in that mm-hmm. filter. They're not there. Uh, no. So it, it's really tough. It's going to be tough in the near future. Now, who, who well, when you think about these? curious, who who develops these? Is it is it? I can only assume that our uh, TikTok obviously they're they're using this, and that that was a TikTok video that we were we were looking at. TikTok has deployed these. I'm assuming that this is tech companies that have worked with China to develop this, and they're using it specifically in in Western countries. I'm assuming that this is a campaign of demoralization. That's my guess. That's my guess. I could be wrong, uh, but I'm happy to hear any any rebuttals to that. I, I have not looked into who's developing it. I, I don't know. Um, to me, I'm if I'm just going to pull it out of the air, I would say I don't know that you can blame it on one country. I mean, one country and demoralization no, is no. a good idea. It's, it's a good guess. Is, but yeah. I think that ultimately we're going in this direction where we're not supposed to be able to know what is real any longer where and and we're supposed to prefer see when i saw that woman go from her real face into the beauty filter face it made me think of the movie i think i mentioned it a couple of weeks ago but surrogates where they had the um, bots that went out on the street and did their business and it did exactly that you know nobody wanted to leave the house because they were just them they looked like them or they could send their gorgeous robot out to do business on their behalf. And it also makes me think, I mean, quite frankly, heaven forbid that girls and young women develop their minds. Wow. You know? <laughs> yeah. Here here we live in this world and we get it all the time. We get it in the music industry and the film industry is that you're going to live forever or you should look like, um, you know, a babe, a babe a breeding age babe when you're 70 and it's ludicrous uh you know there to everything turn turn there is a season and if you haven't developed your mind and your spirit and your you know then you're just sorry but you're meat on the table for the big boys yeah. No, that's a that's an interesting point. I, and I like the way that you went with that, because I was actually I was talking to somebody earlier today about something exactly like that. And I said, you know what? I, and I, I don't I don't mean to sound condescending here, but they were explaining that they were they were tired of, of people not knowing anything. They were kind of you know surrounded by stupidity and they were they were sick of it. And 
I, you know, this is a person that's very hopeful. And I said, you know, I, I, I really wish people would, would snap out of it. And they said, well, people just want to switch off. You know, they, they want to, they, they want to turn off. They don't want to deal with things. And I'm like, well, you watch baseball, you watch, I'm not saying, I wasn't saying this to the, you know, the person in general, I was just speaking, you know, in, mm-hmm. in terms of everybody else. I said, they watch baseball, they watch auto racing, they watch football or, or movies, Netflix, whatever, right? Whatever your thing is. I said, you got time to do that, but you don't have time to to read a book about things and uh, about issues and policies by these people that, that make decisions that affect your life. You don't have time to do that. And they say, well, I mean, it's I don't want to say they're making excuses for them, but I mean, it's kind of it's almost what it seemed like. And again, I'm not knocking this person. They were just kind of pointing out the obvious to me because I probably just wasn't seeing it at the time. And that was that people are busy living their lives, you know, raising their kids, working a job or whatever and, and dealing with family issues or whatever. And I'm sympathetic to that. But at the same time, if you have all of these things that you're dealing with, don't you want to be informed about what's going on mm-hmm. and, and how you're supposed to be able to, to navigate this so you can protect your family and so you can mm-hmm. educate your children? I mean, that that to me is the way I look at it. Maybe my mind's just wired differently. I don't know. But that to me would seem like the, the most obvious thing to do. You know, if I'm if I'm in that position, obviously, that's what I want to do. It, again, you know, maybe my mind's just wired differently. But I saw this video today of this American guy and he's sitting there and he's talking about what the State Department and the DOD and everybody else are announcing to the public. I mean, who cares? It's just, you know, talking points or whatever. Then he was talking about how great it was to see new tracks on Mario Kart. And I thought to myself, what like what what is the point of even making a video about that? You're just showing your stupidity. I don't understand like in this the point that this person that showed me this was trying to make was is that this is the average person that that they're dealing with in the United States. These types of people is that's okay, the attitude. So, sorry, but you have to translate the Latin for me. What is a a new thing on Mario Kart? I mean, I, I don't okay, even know so what that is. Ma- all right, all right, yeah. all right. So Mario Kart, that's what President Joe Biden plays. It's a it's a video game where you drive around. And, oh, okay. You know, Mario right, okay. Mario Brothers. You know, it's a little go kart game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For so kids. I do, yeah, I'm. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. And they have tracks. Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yes, and they have tracks that you drive these all little right. go karts around on, and you know, virtually on okay. the Nintendo systems. All right. And they were talking about how excited they were about new tracks being released. For Mario Kart, as opposed uh, to ah, okay, yeah. Like this is this is the and the point the person was trying to make to me was this is the average American mindset they're dealing with. It's it, not that per- specific person per se, but the, like this is the average person that you run across. Is, well, they don't you know, care. They're just you know, uh, yeah. Alan Watt used to always talk about how people would come to love socialism because experts are doing your thinkings. They're thinking for you. They're ironing out the big problems, the issues. And that is where we are. And it's scientific socialism and it is scientifically perfected socialism. And we've been studied for uh, donkey's years. And so they understand that, see, the young person who's got the fight in them who would say, "Okay, that's not right. Well, what are they doing right now? They are either addicted to online pornography or they are uh, screaming at people for not being sustainable and green and all of that. So that's the young people out the way. And then for the people who are 20, 25 to 40, well, I used to say that they might be raising families and, and going through all of that saga of getting a house and everything, but not so much now. They're they're playing video games or whatever. And then you get old and you die. And 
see, this is studied. So there's got to be something in an individual that re- that can reconnect the ability to think, to understand, to understand who is doing this to us and reconnect with that fight. That fight, you know, it's fight or flight. Well, guess what? Fight. Pick fight. And if you pick fight, things can come together for you. You can you can do your little, I mean, here we are with two podcasts, my tiny one. I don't know what your audience is, but we do what we do. And I talk about Alan Watt, you know, just listen to Alan Watt, go, you know, figure it out, try to piece this together for you. But people are making a choice. And so what your friend is describing, why are people so stupid or they're going along or they're not, they can't be bothered to read. And they've made a choice. They've made a series of choices. And what you can do is leave them to their choice, leave them to their choices, because that's what they want. Because the alternative is if you know and you accept and you say, okay, I'm going to do something, that's your life as you knew it over. You never see the world the same way. You're engaged in things totally differently. And that's just not for everybody. Most, you know, a lot of people prefer their beer and their Mario game. No, I, I understand You're what s- you just said there completely because I, I vacations are ruined for me. I just, I can't do them anymore. Yeah. Now it's it's yeah. like I, everybody, like the whole COVID thing. And I'm like, I, I'm charged charged up through this whole COVID thing. I'm like, all right, finally, let's get this waiting out of the way and let's hit the bricks and let's go, right? Ideologically and in the mindset, let's get into it because that's what the fight is, you know, that is in ideologically, it's going to be, this is the fight for the future. This is it because this will be, this will be our life. And it's like, all people want to do, all they want to do is watch Netflix and go on vacation. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you out of your mind? Yeah. And like, yeah. I can't even, I could go on vacation. That's, that's just it. I, I could go on vacation, but I wouldn't be able to enjoy it. So there's no yeah. point in, in my mind. Yeah. It's like, I, I took, I took a weekend not long ago. I took a weekend and I went to this, this, uh, I, I want to say it was like a resort or something, you know, the whole spa and the sauna and the, you know, the big heated swimming pools and all that stuff, right? All mm-hmm. the nice dinners and breakfasts and all that the room service and all the whole nine yards, right? Five-star place or three, whatever it was, five-star place. Three hours into it, I'm like, what am I even doing here? Like, I'm, I'm sitting mm-hmm. next to the pool and I'm sitting in one of these these big, comfortable chairs, cushions all around me, and I'm I'm getting ready to go check out the, um, you know, the sauna and see what it is. And, and I'm like, what am I even doing here? And I just, mm-hmm. I just wanted to leave. So it's like, yeah. it's not... Like I'm sitting there, I'm reading, I, I took, I think I took like three books on like geopolitics and stuff. And I'm like, I can't even, like, I can't even sit here. You know, I didn't want to sit here. I felt sorry for the kid who was bringing me a glass of water. So yeah. I, I I just, I can't enjoy it anymore. I just, I don't want to say I, I don't care, but I, I don't. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, well, it does. I totally, it completely makes sense to me, Johnny. And I, I understand that. And I, what I learned to do, what I always advocate for people who have put on the they live sunglasses is that you also have the accompanying mask and that mask allows you to move out socially when you have to, when you need to, when you're pulled away and go, uh-huh. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, neat. Okay. Because I can see it from their point of view. I can actually sometimes I'm I'm not reading their mind, but I'm around people that care about me and I can hear it in their little chatter of their mind. 
oh, she just needs to relax. She needs a hobby. She needs, you know, to, and I, I don't want them to have to feel that. So I just kind of keep everything to myself. It's like, you know, sorry, I'm on fire for this. You don't have to be. I don't need you to be, but I, I couldn't possibly have a good time doing your little holiday thing. Nope, just couldn't. <laughs> and at the same time, it's important to be able to decompress uh, as well to keep from going insane. So there is an element of, I agree with you guys, it's difficult to do that. But at the same time, we do need those moments of uh, just kick back and relax a bit and and decouple from what's going on and take this. the moments to focus on family and friends and those kind of things. Yeah. Well, try, but you uh, get moments. I literally, I, get moments. I legitimately tried. I tried and it lasted all of three hours and I'm like, all right, I've had enough. Well, I have, you know, I have my ways of decompressing, you know, it's uh, a cup of coffee and sitting outside or, you know, watching my cat play um, or playing with my cat or, um, you know, baths are nice. That's true, yeah. You know, it's... I, I don't need it. You know, that's the thing is that I decompress um, very efficiently in my own way. And I, I, I just don't need these the things that we're told that we have to have, you know, a holiday once a year or, you know, the weekend. Uh, I just I guess I'm not wired that way. No, nope, I'm certainly not. And cert well, I, I mean, I guess maybe at one point I used to be, but then I just, I, I can't anymore. You know, like the, the, the COVID thing, you know, the little statistics that I say at the beginning of every podcast, that's when it all changed for me. I mean, that's, that's not when it changed per se, but that's when it like it, it kicked into high gear and I'm just like, okay, I'm done with all the rest of that stuff. I don't have time for that anymore. And so, yeah. and that's it's, when I mean, that being said, I absolutely can enjoy the moments that I get with a friend or a family member sure. or the cat sure. or whatever. But I simply know that because I am the way that I am, that that part of my life has to be, you know, carefully managed. I can't overindulge in that because all I get is I feel bad yeah. because I would literally rather be working on something that shares reality as I understand it with other people than just hanging out, kicking back, relaxing. I just lost my train of thought on that. Ooh, get it back, Bruce, quick. You see, yeah, he, was taking, um, he was taking a break. That's what he was doing. He's, he's, been, he's been yeah. taking too much of a break and letting his mind drift. I, I did. I did. I let my mind drift. I looked over and looked at the music that started up and I was like, that's Latin. I don't know how to pronounce that. And then I totally <laughs> lost my thought. Kind of thought. Yeah, it, it, it's probably just uh, we'll leave it on. Uh, leave it at that. It, it'll come back later and I'll, it'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. And it'll. Yeah. I got to stop thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Melissa, it's been an absolutely wonderful conversation with you, and we're happy to have you back, and we'll see you again in two weeks. So again, Great. that is Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the fabulous work that they do in keeping the life-collected works of the late, great Alan Watt up for your own self-education, which, again, I uh, I, I owe it a lot to the uh, the things that that guy put together, uh, and it's it's been absolutely fantastic having you on we'll see you in two weeks that will be all for today i would like to thank you both for being here today thank you to all of the listeners god bless everyone and have a great evening